Today we're continuing this series on prayer. And last week we ended the message and I said, hey, we have the secret sauce that we want to talk about this week. And I invited you guys to come back and you're back, thank God. Um, hopefully you're here to hear, you know, what God has to say. But sometimes, how many of you guys ever went somewhere and they gave you a secret sauce? Maybe it's for like french fries or a burger and they put it down in front of you. And you're like, this is just ketchup and mayonnaise mixed up together. Like, and maybe you put in a little salt or chili peppers or something. But the, the secret's out. It's just ketchup and mayo. Like, no secret here. You, you're trying to dupe me, but there's, I, can, I know what it is. And today we're going to talk about something that if you just take it and you just take it as like words, it's going to feel like somebody just maybe put down a dollop of something you already understood. But if you really let God's word speak to you, if you let the Holy Spirit really just move you, I think it could be something that is really, really, really good for you. Um, it's a message that even just backstage when I was rethinking what we're going to be talking about today, it was kind of making my stomach a little bit upset. Because I think there's some real big, deep truths in here that are going to probably make a few of your emotions turn a bit. But we're going to preach God's word even when it's hard sometimes. Today, we're talking about the secret sauce of prayer. And part of the secret sauce of prayer begins with how we see God. It's our viewpoint of God. We've shared this quote in here before, but it's an A.W. Tozer quote that says, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, what comes to our mind when people think about God is so important. Because for an atheist, what comes to mind when they think about God is fake, not there, kind of a problem. What, as a Christian, as a Christ follower, what comes to our mind can be all kinds of different things. And as I get to talk to people and know people, a lot of times I'll, I'll be able to see what is, it that what is their viewpoint on who God is. And here's some of the viewpoints that I've seen. And I probably, and some of you may have had at some point, we've got the cosmic force God. Cosmic force God is the God that's distant, kind of started everything, made everything, but now he's just really distant and kind of hands off. We've got the kind grandpa God. Kind grandpa God. How many guys have like the kind grandpa that always has like the old stale candy or, you know, he's always there to give you a high five, but he's not real active. He's not, you know, he, he, he had his heyday, but now he just kind of sits back. Some people view God that way, that he did all these things. And now he's just kind of like, ah, all right. We've got the divine scorekeeper God. That's the one where we think we got to check all the boxes and earn the right points because we're going to get there and the scorekeeper is going to say, well, here's your score. And so we do our best to really impress the scorekeeper. And we're afraid if we don't impress him, things might not go well. And that leads to the angry and distant God. Some people think God is just always out there with the lightning bolt watching to strike them down when they cuss somebody out in their car. And he's the angry and distant God. And all he is there for is to be angry and he just doesn't, he doesn't feel close at all until you feel like you're condemned and convicted of something. And then we've got the, hey Siri God. This is actually where I think a lot of us as Christ followers fall into. It's the God that we don't call on until we need something. Until we feel like we don't understand something. It's kind of like our, our, hey Alexa, hey Siri. And we say it, uh, I might have turned my phone on. Um, but we say that thing just to, to get some information, to get us direction somewhere. And a lot of us, we only turn to God when we feel like we need him. And then when we feel like we've either moved past that point, ah, just put it away. I'll call back on it next time. And we can continue 
to talk about all the different viewpoints that people have about God. But we've, if we're going to have a successful prayer life, if we're going to really have a time that we get to spend with God that makes a difference, we have to get our viewpoint of God right. It's really, it's a huge component of the secret sauce of a successful prayer life. If we have a flawed view of God, we're going to have a flawed prayer life. So it's essential that we get this right. But I love the fact that God doesn't just leave us on our own. He doesn't just leave us to to say, well, maybe he's any of these things. He gives us some clarity on who he is. Jesus begins the greatest prayer of all time by steering us on how we should view God. This is the prayer we're going to be looking at in the next couple weeks. And it's a prayer that teaches us how every other prayer in our life should go. It's not something that needs to be rigid, but it's a model of how our prayer life should be lived out. He was modeling to his disciples kind of an outline, a skeleton of here's how your prayers should go. And the first four words should have a profound impact on the way we pray. So since you have your Bibles, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus gives us this model of how God wants to be known. And he's going to let us right from the beginning know that our viewpoint of God matters. And so he prays like this. Remember, we talked last week. He said, don't be hypocritical. Find some time where you're just spending alone with God. People are leaning in. What is he going to say? And he says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts by just saying, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're going to get to why, why this is so revolutionary. But... I have to share like a, a stupid story with y'all. So the other day, I'm with my wife and we start having a conversation that we should not have been having. Here's the conversation. What do we want to be called when we're grandparents? <laughs> and first off, our oldest just turned 18. So we better not be grandparents for a bit. But you know, it's like, you can't just go with grandma and grandpa anymore. Everybody's got these cutesy little names. And they, I saw a list of grandparent names and there was like Bopsy and Boopsy. I'm like, that is not what any of my grandkids are calling me. <laughs> and so we're kind of just, we're chatting about this. And part of the reason it's funny in our family is our kids call their grandparents some weird things. Um, on one set, we've got a normal, just Papa, but the grandma is Pumpkin. Papa and Pumpkin. And on the other side, we've got Boogie and Papa Jeb. Now, I'm going to tell you why those two names don't make any sense. Um, but what, what we learned from our kids is our oldest, Michaela, she spoke at a really, really young age. And what happened is both of her grandmothers called her nicknames. And so the one would call her Pumpkin all the time. Hey, Pumpkin, how are you doing, Pumpkin? The other one would call her Boogie all the time. Hey, oh, hi, Boogie. Well, guess what? Our oldest related those names with those faces. And all of a sudden, she turned that name around and started calling this person Pumpkin and this person Boogie. And it stuck. And now my 18-year-old daughter still calls my mother Boogie. <laughs> which is fine. But her 17-year-old boyfriend calls my mother Boogie. Oh, that's cute. That's weird. I already don't know what to think about this as a relationship. I don't know if I need a baseball bat or not. But 
it's just strange, but one of them I kind of glanced over was this name, Papa Jeb. That was what my dad was called. Now, here's the thing. My dad's name is not Jeb. His name is Mark, like mine. But when he found out that he was going to be a grandfather, he said, I want to be called Jeb. That is the preferred name that I have as a grandfather. I don't know if he had Kentucky in his heart, like Eastern Kentucky in the hills. I don't know what was going on there. But he learned the trick. He learned that if I just keep saying this name to this child, this child will relate this name back to my face. And so he would hold Michaela and he'd say, it's Jeb, 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 Jeb. And one day, the word that my wife did not want to hear come out of Michaela's mouth came out, Jeb. I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. My goofy dad is now going to be known for the rest of his life by my kids as Papa Jeb. For the longest time, my kids thought that Jeb was his actual name. <laughs> it is not. But it was the preferred name that he had chosen. It was the name that he wanted to be called by his grandkids. We all have a lot of different names in life. Things that we're known by, things that we're called. You know, even personally, I'm known as a friend. I'm known as pastor, a neighbor, boss. But I love when my kids just call me dad. It's a name that I love. It's a name I prefer. When I become a grandparent, my wife, she wants to be known as Darlin. And I'm going to be called Chief. And I know the trick now. <laughs> I know the trick. You just hold that kid and you say the name a lot. And eventually they're going to call you that. So we're going to have Darlin and Chief. And that's just how it's going to be. <laughs> but it's the name that I've decided and I've chosen. It's the name that I have preferred. But here's the thing. And here's the question. God has a preferred name. He has a name that he prefers. And how, the question we're going to talk about today is how does God most want to be known by you? What does he want you to call him? What does he want you to call him? If you were to study in scripture, if you were to look in there, I can see about 250 different names and titles and ways that God has made himself known. Over 250 ways, provider, healer, creator, comforter, redeemer, all these different names, all these different ways that he's been known, but which one does he prefer? Which one is his favorite? And as you study scripture, the answer actually comes across pretty clearly. The way that God wants to be known is as father. The way that he wants to be known is as father. In the Old Testament, God is known as father only seven times. And it's more geared towards he's the father of a nation, the nation of Israel. Seven times in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is written over thousands of years. It's the biggest chunk of your Bible. And only seven times do we hear him called father. But get to the New Testament, get to the back part of your Bible, and he's called father over 150 times. Over 150 times he's referred to as father. And what's the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament? The difference is Jesus. Jesus is the difference. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But Jesus comes on the scene and he changes how we're able to know God. 
He changes our relationship that we can have with God. Jesus shows up and we now can have a newness and a closeness with God. Because of Jesus, we can know God as Father. Because of Jesus, we can become his sons and daughters. Because of Jesus, we have a way to be reconciled in right relationship like Adam and Eve as they walked in the cool of the day and just spoke to him. Jesus has made a way for that to happen. John 14, 6 says this. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you will know the will of my Father as well. And I want you to just really notice what this is saying, because sometimes I think we miss the simplest truths. We miss the simplest truths of Scripture. Because he says, I am the way. And so we have to ask ourselves the way to what? What is, what is he the way to? And, and a lot of us would say, well, he's the way to heaven. And that's true. And that's powerful. He's the way to not go to hell. That is very true. That is powerful. He's the way to salvation. True. Powerful. But that is not completely what he is saying here. I think part of where a lot of us church leaders, including myself, have failed is we've not presented a full taste of what the gospel is. For a long time, Christ has been presented as like a ticket to get you out of hell and to put you into heaven. He's been presented as a way to just experience a future salvation, a better future forever in heaven. And those things are true, but it's, he, this is what it says. I am the way to what? The Father. It says, I am the way to a right relationship with God the Father. So let me give you a fuller version of the good news, of the gospel of Jesus. It's not just about escaping hell and entering into heaven. It's about having a redeemed right relationship with the God Father who wants to bring you healing, who wants to provide you with comfort, who wants to walk with you, and talk with you. There's a term that we used to use in church. But I think people started to think it was a little bit too churchy. And maybe a little bit too confusing and hard to understand. But it's a term that when Jesus used it, was confusing to the people who heard it and hard to understand. A term is the term born again. John 3, 3, Jesus is talking and he says, Very truly I, see, I, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless... They are born again. Born again into what? You know, he says this and like, how can the, when he says it at one point, they go, how can I re-enter my mother's womb? And like, how does that make any sense? But what Jesus is talking about is we are now grafted into a brand new family. We are born again into a new family and we have a father in heaven who loves us dearly. A father who wants to, ex, us to experience a full life. And to approach God as Father is a spiritual privilege for those of us who have been born again and adopted into the family of God. Not just everybody can approach God as Father. It's for those of us who have been born again and adopted into his family. God doesn't want you to just have a ticket to heaven. God wants to be your Father now, today. He doesn't want you to get to a place of eternity and live in pain and trauma and grief and strife here on this earth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. He came to make a way for us to be with the Father, to know God, not just as Lord, not just as King, not just as Creator. You know, some people want to, they, they have such Father hurt 
that they don't want to even use the word father. And some people have started using the word mother. This is not about a gender term. And how dare us think that we get to rename and repurpose what God wants to be called. That is an ultimate act of arrogance. He wants to be God our Father. So, we're going to be using the Lord's Prayer as a model over the next couple weeks. And the first thing that I think we really need to do when we go to prayer is we need to do this. We just need to pause. First thing we need to do is pause. We need to take a relational pause and remember, who am I actually talking to? The one who made the world out of nothing. The one who created trillions of stars in the sky. The one who it says, nobody, when they see him, they fall down. The creator of all things wants to be my father and have just a relationship and talk with me. And in our modern day, it's not unusual for us to hear. We've, if you've been in church in any time, you've heard God being called father. But in Jesus's day, this was revolutionary. This was frustrating to the um, spiritual leaders of the day. It was a radical departure from Judaism. Remember, they only knew God as father of a nation. Jesus is saying you can know God as father personally. So God as father and it's a favorite way to be known. And the question then we need to wrestle with is what kind of father is he? What kind of father is he? Because I know in this room, when you hear the word dad, when you hear the word father, it can bring up all kinds of different thoughts, all kinds of different emotions, all kinds of different feelings. For some of you guys, when you hear the word father, you hear the word dad, it brings up great thoughts and memories. In the backyard, throwing the ball around, daddy-daughter dances, a dad who taught you life skills, a dad who was there for you and watching you on your different sports teams. And even if you didn't get in every time, man, he was still there by your side. But for others of you, when you hear that term father, your guard goes up. There's a lot of people I've talked to time and time again that have major father wounds. And what happens is when you hear the word father, your defenses go up because you were hurt by a father and you don't want to be hurt and disappointed again because when that word comes to mind, to you, fatherhood is absence, addiction, abuse, hurt, harm, disappointment, frustration. And so when you hear that God is a father, you're like, ah, I don't know about that. I led a camp for a group of um, like preteens and one of the nights we sang, you know, you're a good, good father. And I, I remember a girl just weeping. And I'm like, what? What's going on? Her father had abused her. Her father had then left. And she just didn't even understand and couldn't reconcile how there would be a God who wants to be a father to her. And when she heard that, she's like, is that the type of God that I want to be around? Because here's the problem. If, if God is primarily showing you that he wants to be known as father, We've got an enemy that wants to do everything he can then to destroy fatherhood. Because if God is saying, I want to be known as your father, we've got an enemy who's going to say, okay, well then I'm going to destroy what people think of when they think of the word father. And he's going to come at and attack fatherhood with everything that he has. It's the divine plan of hell because the enemy knows 
If he can mess up your viewpoint of fatherhood, he can mess up your relationship with God. It can become a stumbling block. A lot of us feel like we don't have an intimacy and we don't have a a good relationship with God because God wants to be known as father and our father was harmful, hurtful, left. This is a major problem in our world, especially today. It's a major problem in our country. Fatherlessness is, is rampant and the current generation is kind of known and being called the fatherless generation. And here's the consequences. The U.S. Department of Justice says children from fatherless homes account for 90% of all homeless, of all runaways, 85% of the children who exhibit behavioral issues, 71% of high school dropouts, 75% of adolescent patients with substance abuse. Fatherlessness, man, it, it harms our relationship with God. It harms our future. It's an attack on our faith. And I've decided at Relevant, we're not going to stand for that. I want us to be a church that loves dads, that equips dads, that encourages them to, to love and lead their families well. And so to the dads in the room, let me just speak to you for a second. Let me give you some encouragement. Don't give up. Don't give up on your kids. Don't give up on your marriage. You have an incredible opportunity to love your kids that when, if they in the future hear a message like this, the word father is not then a trauma trigger to them. It's something they think of treasure, that they treasure the time they had with their dad. Love your kids, lean into them. Be a dad that loves their kids in the way that our heavenly father does. Make sure your kids know how much they are loved and treasured and discipline them in love. You don't need to get it perfect, guys. There's only one dad who's perfect and you're not it. But your children need to know that you love them and that you're trying because I want you guys to understand how much God wants to be our father, that we can come to him relationally. But if you have deep father wounds, it's gonna really impact your prayer life. Because no matter what type of dad you had, whether your dad was completely absent or present, there's a longing inside of us all to have the attention of a father. There's a longing inside of us all to have an attention of a father that when we're just able to even walk and talk, daddy, did you see me? Daddy, are you coming to my thing? If your dad wasn't even in the home, is my dad going to come back? Is he going to come home? We have this longing to be needed and to be known by our father. And for those of us I think all of us have some father wounds, whether they're little or whether they're massive. And a father wound is just an unhealed hurt from a, from a physical dad. Some of us have father wounds from maybe we had a, a coach or somebody that stepped into that place and then let us down. Some of us have father wounds from spiritual fathers, from pastors, from leaders who we looked up to, but man, they just let us down. And we all have these different wounds that we carry around. And these wounds leave people, including... Many of this room thinking, hey, if, if God's like that, I'm not interested. Yeah. If that's the father that God is like, I'm not interested. Because our father in heaven is very large, but our father on earth is very present. And if the father wound is in front of you, it, it obstructs your view and it messes your viewpoint of God. It's like if I walked around like this with my fist in front of my face all the time. I can kind of see you guys, but it sort of gets in the way. 
It's, it's obstructing my view. And some of us are carrying around father wounds that are obstructing our view of what God wants us to see and how he wants us to live. And we have to start releasing that. We have to start letting that wound heal. We have to start living in a place where we can forgive our dads and our fathers. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. If your father hurts you, abused you, you don't even get to, he left you in such a way that you'll maybe never be redeemed. You still need to find a place where you can give this up and walk in forgiveness. Because if this, if you're carrying this around, some of you guys got double and you're, you don't see God at all. You've got to learn to release that, to let it go. The most loving thing I can tell you is that when you forgive your father who hurt you, you can be healed by the father who loves you. When you forgive your father who hurt you, you can be loved by the father who, love, who really deeply loves you and wants you to say, our father, and start talking to him and praying in a new way. And until you forgive that, that bitterness is going to connect you to the father of lies. I want to be connected to the father of hev- in heaven, not the father of lies. And it's hard. Guys, I didn't grow up with a perfect dad. We all have these wounds. My dad was in no way perfect. He was a womanizer. He became an alcoholic. He was, he was present but not because he was at work all the time. I very rarely saw him. And now my dad's not here. And we never had that moment to have complete reconciliation. But I still, I can't carry this around like this because I got to know that God is a different type of a father. And when you start to know God as Father, prayer starts to happen a little bit more naturally. You know, my kids talk to me in a way that nobody else does. I didn't have to have a class to teach my kids how to talk to their dad. You know, in churches, we have classes teaching people how to pray. We're going through a whole series of trying to help you understand how to pray. I never had to teach my kids how to ask me for stuff. I didn't. They knew my dad loves me and he has money. (laughs) And so my kids are bold enough and they'll ask me for anything. Hey, dad, I want ice cream. Hey, dad, I want a pony. Hey, dad, I want bottle rockets. (laughs) Like they'll just ask me for stuff. I didn't have to teach them how they knew that they have a dad who cares for them and loves them. And they just started talking. In fact, the other day, Elijah and I were at Walmart. And we we were there looking for something. I don't remember what it was. But we we were at Walmart and Elijah started asking for stuff. Dad, can I have some chips? No. Hey, Dad, can I have some Mountain Dew? No. Hey, Dad, can I have this, some goofy toy? No. Hey, Dad, can I have a donut? No. And then I turned to him and I said the thing that only a pastor can threaten a kid with. If you ask for one more thing, I'm putting you in my sermon. (laughs) He's in my sermon, so guess what? He turns to me and he goes, hey, dad, can I have an energy drink? I'm like, no. I didn't have to teach my son how to ask for things. Most of us don't. In fact, we have to teach our kids a lot of times how to ask for the right things. But I never had to teach my son that. And even more importantly, for my kids and my son in particular, it's not that he just likes to ask for stuff. Whenever I'm about to go somewhere, he always says, hey, dad, where are you going? And then he says, hey, can I come? 
Because he doesn't want to just come to ask for stuff. He likes to just hang with me. He likes to sit in the car and, and listen to dumb music and go into the store and just walk around and talk. He likes to just spend time with me. And a, along the way of spending time with me, he sees something that he wants and he asks for it. We want to have a relationship with God that we're not just with him to ask for stuff. We're just spending time with him. That's the God that we want. And that's why the prayer starts, our father. It's about relationship. The model for prayer wants us to see that these things are important. Relationship needs to come before request. God wants us to just be with him in relationship. And when we start understanding who God is, he's my father. Who I am, I am loved. It's like two pedals on a bike. He's my father, I am loved. He's my father, I am loved. He's, and all of a sudden we start gaining momentum in prayer because we've shifted from just thinking he's the guy that I can call on to meet my needs or he's the cosmic lightning bolt killer. No, he's my father, I am loved. And he just wants to spend time with me. And we start gaining momentum. And before you know it, prayer is just something we naturally do. It's, it's again, it's like my kid who just wants to say, Dad, where are you going? Can I come? Then we look at God and we say, God, what are we doing today? Lead me, guide me, direct me. Romans 8, 14 says this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. When you gave your life to Christ, if you haven't, today hopefully will be your day when you can. When you submit and surrender your life to Christ, you're adopted into a brand new family. You're grafted into a new family tree. Your family tree may look like a dead tree that's got a, one little piece of fruit that's hanging on it. God's saying you're grafted into a new family tree. You're adopted into, you're co-heirs of the kingdom of God. You're no longer, he said, you're no longer a slave. All those things that try to lock you up, all those things that try to shackle you up, God says, I want to set you free from that stuff because you belong to me. And I know that the, the reality is some of you right now are thinking, I don't even know. I'm telling you, God is a good father and a loving father. And you're like, I don't even know what a good father means. I don't know what a good father looks like. And to that, I say, I don't believe you. Because even if your father on earth completely let you down, I know we've all imagined what a great dad would be. We have all imagined and thought, man, what if my dad sobered up? We've all imagined, what if my dad was just a little bit more present? We've all imagined, what if you had been there? What if you had sat at the end of my bed and talked to me? We've all imagined, what if you had actually been there to walk down the aisle with me when I got married? What if you had been there when my kids were born? We've all imagined what a good, loving father would be. We've all imagined what it would be like to hear, hey, good job, way to go. Our Heavenly Father is saying, build on that imagination because I'm even better than that. Your Heavenly Father wants you to know 
And I want you to know, God is not simply the reflection of your earthly father. He is the perfection of your earthly father. He's not here to just be a reflection of the dad that you had, no matter how good or how bad it was. He's saying, I am here to be the perfect father that you have longed for for your entire life. God is everything that you've dreamed of and more. He's everything you've longed for and more. We all have these father wounds. But when we come to the father, he wants to heal those things. He's there to heal those things. And I love that it doesn't just say he's our father. Jesus doesn't just say, pray this prayer, our father. He then tells us our father is where? In heaven. So we pause and remember who we are talking to. And we're talking to God who's in heaven. Your daddy is the biggest, the baddest, the best, above it all, greater than everything. That's your father. My dad can beat up your dad, takes on a whole new meaning when your dad lives in heaven. That's the type of father that's accessible to you. You have to be adopted into his family to submit and surrender your life to Christ because Jesus made a way for us to be with the Father, redeemed and right relationship with a God who wants to heal our wounds. So I have a question. What's your relationship with God like? Is he a, a loving God or is he distant to you? Because your heavenly Father wants to be close to you. And those of you that are carrying around wounds, here's a problem with a wound. Sometimes a wound needs something to help it heal. And that's what our Heavenly Father wants to do. He wants to turn those wounds and he wants to help them heal. And I'm not saying you won't be left with a scar. I'm not saying you won't be left with a scar, but how many of you guys know scar tissue is kind of tough? And scar tissue always also leaves behind a story that you can tell that you can share with somebody else. God wants to heal those wounds from your earthly father. Turn them into scars and stories of redemption. We have a God who loves to take scars and turn them into stories. He turns scars of pain and turns them into stories of redemption. He's a God who turns death on a cross into salvation and hope for all mankind. That's the God we have. That's the Father we have. And that's why you could say, yes, you know what? I do have scars, but I have access to the Father who heals. I have a story to tell with you guys. It's the way that I can come up here and say, man, I had a dad who let me down a lot. I still love him. I have forgiven him. He's not here with us on this earth anymore, but I did my best to share the love of Jesus with him. And I've got scars, but I've got a story that I can share. Some of you, you need those wounds to start healing. And that means you have to turn and say, God, I believe that you are a loving father. My earthly father let me down, but I know you never will. By the power of Jesus, you need to know that you are loved. You are cared for. You are seen. You are known. This is a, a heavy kind of message. Sometimes we have fun up here. A couple weeks ago, we were popping, you know, killing inflatables. Like, but today we're really talking about something deep. And I need this to be a place where you guys find some healing. You find some hope. And for those of you who had great dads, you know somebody who didn't. And you need to be there to pray for them. 
to help them, to help them understand that if they're, we're never going to get prayer right if we don't understand how much our Father loves us.